You're listening to Sports Radio Detroit. Belong here. Understand that. You belong here. That's the biggest thing we have to understand here is that we belong here. And we take off from there. Pucking around. around. Welcome back to Pucking Around After a Month Layoff. Happy Holidays, Merry Christmas, Happy Hanukkah, Happy New Year to all of you. I'm Jason Pinkham, and I'm here today with the franchise Steve Height to discuss the last month of the NHL. Before we get started, how was your holidays, man? It was pretty good. Christmas is always one of my favorite times of the year. You get to spend it with a lot of family and, and friends and just hang out with people and eat good food. I mean, that's the source of all of my favorite holidays, if we're just going to be honest, is food. And then also happy Kwanzaa. I forgot that one. Oh, my bad. My bad. To all the people who celebrate Kwanzaa, happy Kwanzaa. I apologize. No, I, no, I agree. Ready. It's No, you're good. I, I think uh, the holidays are like kind of a double-edged sword, especially for content creators like us, because as much as it is really, really awesome to like get time off work, I get a week off work every year, which is awesome. You know, I get to just kind of reset, get ready for the new year and all that. It kind of sucks usually because no, nothing happens. Like there no almost no sports happen. Like, yes, there's bowl games, but who gives a crap about the bowl games? Yeah, like it, it, so long as they're not the real championship ones, of course. If you're a college football fan, but hockey goes on a fucking three day hiatus, and usually nothing happens. And then also like there's that weird space of time between that we're in right now between Christmas and New Year's that seems to not exist but exists. But it's yes. like a black hole of like. Is it Thursday? What day is it? I don't know what day it is. Oh, literally, it's Sunday, 6 p.m. Oh, okay. <laughs> like, you just, 100%. You don't know what happens in that space of time. It's like this weird time vortex continuum where just, like, nothing happens, but everything happens. I'm fairly certain it's December 34th. <laughs> like, I actually don't know what day it is. It's like, December the, the last, 75th. <laughs> like, the last two weeks of December is the longest two weeks of the year for some weird reason. The other one that's comparable for... Uh, anybody who listens who's a factory employee, you know, the first two weeks of July is the same time vortex because we get one or two weeks off, depending on where you work, and time just stops, just like it is right now, where it's like, I wake up every day and I'm like, I gotta, I gotta do nothing. I gotta do nothing. I don't, I, don't uh, I guess I'll just watch some hockey, I guess. Speaking of, usually we have nothing to talk about around this time of year. But this year, we have a big fucking bomb of a story uh, because nah, we won't get into it. I'll do a rundown real quick, and then we'll, we'll jump in. But uh, needless to say, the CEO of the Dallas Stars had a few key words to say in what's probably going to be our primary story. Uh, after that, we'll have the response from the players, and we'll get into our responses on both sides. Uh, then we'll go into the Tampa Bay Lightning probably looking to re-sign and extend uh, John Cooper. And we'll wrap up with a topic that I think will actually go a little bit longer than I, th- I planned. Uh, we did before, if you guys remember, I think it was about a month ago, maybe two months ago now. Uh, we did the seven worst value contracts in the NHL. Well, there's been a follow-up article, the seven best value contracts in the NHL. And I think 
you know, we do a lot of negative on this show, and I think it's it'd probably be good for both of our mental health to do a little positive after a a, a deep dive into the negative. But let's let's start with the deep dive into the negative. Uh, CEO Jim Lights of the Dallas Stars. Uh, thank, thank by the way, quick shout out to goalie man Justin Freebairn over on Spinning the Wheels. He has acquired an athletic uh, subscription, so I have the ability to actually view these stories. Uh, this was an article written by Sean Shapiro. On Friday, December 28th, it starts with, what the fuck? That's the text Dallas Stars CEO Jim Light says he gets five times per game from team owner Tom Gaglardi. That name frustrates me. Uh, He's pissed, and you know what it's about. They're fucking horse shit. I don't know how else to put it. The team was okay, but Sagan and Ben were terrible. Uh, uh, The public frustration began during Thursday's morning skate when Stars coach Jim Montgomery told the team he was fucking embarrassed with the team's practice and where they were in the standings. For those in the Stars' offices, that starts with the captain and the player with more job security than anyone else in the franchise. I'm I'm going into this because there's a lot to unpack, but it's important to be... We actually hear what is being said. I don't get it, Light said. The good news is the coach got everyone else to go and we found a way and we were able to make up for their lack of playing. Frustration has arisen throughout the organization about Ben and Sagan's play this season. The two are currently ranked 57th and 67th in league scoring, while the Stars are currently clawing for their life in the Western Conference playoff race. Annoyance about the two players' uncharacteristic scoring issues bubbled to the surface, and Lights requested an interview with a couple of media members on Friday to make the concerns public. I'm not going to keep reading over and over and over again. I'm just going to touch a couple of these quotes, and then we'll, we'll get into our opinions on it. These guys are not good enough. They're not good enough for me. They're not good enough for the owner, and they're certainly not good enough for the general manager, who I can't speak for, but it's not good enough for the job he's done. But we've had meeting after meeting after meeting. The accountability on the ice is not there. These guys were signed to big contracts because they were the third and sixth leading scorers in the National Hockey League over the past five years. They get their money. We expect them to not be outplayed every game we play in. And if they were as good as they've been in the past, we wouldn't be having this conversation. Okay. Now, before I get into their responses, I honestly, just raw, I want your response to that. Okay. This is tough because, like, I appreciate the passion. It's good to see some passion out of people. But it's very much misguided and misplaced because, one, if you don't have those two players, you're really not going to make the playoffs. One. Two, you play in arguably the toughest division to play hockey in. Just, Just flat out with the teams you're playing against right now. I mean, and with the resurgence of some other teams that have done some decent GM jobs, like Colorado, just to spin their teams around and maybe put them in a little bit better position. Um, I think Dallas's foundation is just this is a hockey team right now is not as good as 90% of the teams in your division. So for, for to put all the weight on two players on your team, when one, you have one of the most inconsistent goaltenders in the league. Three, you have one of the most injury-ridden defensive course in the league, and then just, just a lot of unproven talent that you're surrounding with Jamie Benn and Tyler Sagan, who pound for pound are probably top best 15 forwards in the league, and you're going to criticize that from a CEO box with a tie-on, never probably playing a day of hockey in your life. Kind of find that a little far-fetched and aloof. I think, okay, so here's here's my reaction to this, because... I do two things when I when I when I heard this response. First and foremost, I immediately go and I check the stat sheet. And right now, one in three on the Dallas Stars is Tyler Sagan and Jamie Benn. Tyler Sagan has thirty three points in thirty nine games. Jamie Benn has thirty points in thirty nine games. That's not terrible. It's not no, that's, bad. That's a pretty good average. That's, that's like an eight million dollar player. That's that's really right on par. You're you're probably gonna put up sixty seven to eighty points per player per season. 
It's exactly what you want out of your top two players. That's literally what you, you go to any any fucking Stanley Cup winning champion over the last years, over the last 10 years, and I guarantee you two of their top players, two of their top three players have just about a point per game in a season. They, when you have a player that's putting up 120 points a season, generally, generally, not ex- excluding the 80s because Wayne Gretzky, but generally now in today's NHL in the salary cap era, that means you have a shitty team. Yeah, like there's a reason Connor McDavid puts up 120 points a game a season because he's fucking alone on that team, so he's going to put up points. Like there's no one else to put up points, so he just gets all the goals. Uh, when you have a team that actually has a composition where your top three players are Sagan, Radulov, and Ben, all of which are over 30 points, even Spezza has 21 points, so you have 111 points through 39 games out of four guys, that's perfectly reasonable to ask of anybody. Number two, I look at standings. Standings, they're fourth in their division. Sounds bad, right? Nope, it's three points out of second. It's seven points out of first because Winnipeg is playing out of their fucking minds this year. Is that bad? No, it's not, especially when your defense, which you referenced as injured, I reference as shitty. Whether they're healthy or not, they're garbage. Yes, they have a young and up-and-coming rookie who's playing a 1,000 minutes a game, and that's really cool. And uh, is it Goligoski? No. Their other guy whose Klingberg. name always skips it. Klingberg. Klingberg's been injured off and on. Klingberg is good when he plays, but you have two guys, and that's the fuck it. I don't care about the other four guys because they're not good enough. And your goaltending has been nothing but piecework, patch mail, garbage for fucking 15 years. You have not had a goalie that you have ever and it, it, literally even your cup-winning team had fucking Eddie Belfour. How about you draft and make a goalie before you criticize your scores? Like, Belfour, fucking uh, uh, Niemi, uh, uh, who else did they have? Lettinen, uh Bishop. Like, you, you, don't, you don't know how to scout, draft, or train goalies, and you're criticizing your scores for not scoring enough to out make up that fact? You know what happens in Toronto when they lose a game? They go, damn, we lost the team. Their goalies are shit. No offense, Steve. I know they're your fans, but their goalies are sh- complete shit. And that is 100% or 80% no, of the Freddie problem. Freddie Anderson is one of the scored. best goalies in the league right now. Just when he plays, that. he's injured. When he plays, he's injured a lot. And your backup is shit. The point is, when they lose, they don't put the blame on any one player. It's not Jonathan Tavares' fault. It's not... Garrett Sparks Sparks fault. Even though it usually is Garrett Sparks fault when they lose. By the way, the they they just lose as a team. Dallas for some reason, Jim Lights for some fucking reason is going to yell about two guys who are putting up goddamn near a point per game over the course of a season a season in which they're one win over five hundred, counting overtime losses. Like, okay, so now here's the other half of my brain when I read this article. So that was one half. The other half is. Fuck yeah, Jim Light. Say your mind. Like, that's what I love. Like, I, I love this because we're still talking about it two days later. Like, I love this because during the Red Wings broadcast, that's all they talked about. I love this because it's a dramatic story. It shows that not every team in the NHL is just, you know, we got to get in pucks deep, got to play good, got to put in some good effort, you know, got to get the boys to pucks, get some chances. Like, for once we get a guy who's swearing, he's pissed, he's wrong, but he's trying. Like at least he's mad, I, and I like that. And I, I honestly, if I was a, a member of the Dallas Stars ownership group, I'd be pissed too. It's been fucking 10, 15, 20 years of futility being the guaranteed lock-in number four seed 
and not number four overall, number four in your division for basically 20 years. No matter what concoction or composition you come up with, no matter what players you sign, no matter what players you draft, you're never bad enough to be out of it to get a first pick, and you're never good enough to be the favorite, and you're never good enough to win the cup. So I get where the, the anger comes from. This is exactly the same problem that Lions fans have. But... That's not on your star top scorers who are scoring. That's on fucking you, dude. Like, that is 100% your fault. You're airing your grievances for your own mistakes. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, that's the first thing I thought of is, like, the only guy you have to be mad at is your fucking self. <laughs> like, like, but, I mean, and all the other factors that we listed, like, you're not going to blame Ben Bishop was making almost $5 million with a sub nine ten save percentage in today's Oof. NHL. Like, give me a fucking break. Like, you're out here signing guys for five, six million dollars, arguably some of the worst value contracts in the NHL. And then you want to get mad at the two guys who are basically putting the team on their back and carrying them, living whatever they want, being happy about where they are because they like the atmosphere, regardless of how much they win or lose. They both have extensively said they really like being in Dallas. They really like playing in the organization. And now you look at something like this happening, and you know what? If I'm Tyler Sagan, I'm just like, maybe I will open my no trade clause if you want to. You you want you know you want to treat me like this? I'll go somewhere else. Bye. Trade me. Hey hey Jim Lights, how about you send me to fucking St. Louis? We see what happens real quick. When we play some division games. Send me to Chicago. You send me to Minnesota. We'll watch Minnesota become a cup winning champion team real quick because all three of those teams have shown that they can put defense and scoring or defense and goaltending on the ice and maybe they need a scoring piece in some cases obviously st louis is a head case in that and chicago is a trash shithole but that that's not my point my point is is that you can build rosters if you actually take the responsibility for it and admit your mistakes ben and sagan were asked directly about this okay so before i jump into their responses the thing I find frustrating about the coverage of this, both, you know, from even just the Detroit side on the broadcast last night, and then in my research and the headline side is, you know, we're just we're we're talking about the story of oh, how could he say this? Oh, how could he say these swear words? How could he say this about them? They've never seen this. What's their reaction? We're not talking, and we are, you and I are, but I very rarely hear anybody talking about the content of what he's saying, and that's I think that is probably the more important story. Is it's not. It's not that he said something, which that's fine. I like it because that's one of the things that makes the NBA enticing is that you have weird owners saying weird shit and players talking shit about each other. It's fun. But it's that he's wrong on most of the things he's accusing people of. But real quick, I'll jump back into Ben and Second's response. Ben, this is uh, coming from Mark Stepneski uh, at Stars Inside Edge. He interviewed Jamie Ben and Tyler Sagan. I'll just give their responses really quickly. Reaction to Light's comments. Interested. I read the article and it is what it is. People have their opinions on the outside and all it really is is noise. When there is a situation within the organization, I try to keep it within the organization and deal with it face-to-face. I come to the rink every day and wear the Dallas Stars jersey proudly and play hard for the fans, my teammates. Has Jim Light's talked to him during this season? No. Would you have preferred he talked to you? Yeah, I think so. How do you feel about your level of play and could it be better? For sure. I think everyone looks at the numbers and that's the easiest thing to look at. The point production isn't where it could be or should be or was, so it's easy to point to that. Can you still play all up for the team when a high executive calls you out? 
yeah, I don't play for him. I play for every player in this room, the coaching staff. I come to the rink, and like I said, I'm proud to be a Dallas star, and I'm proud to go out every night and battle with these guys in games. I really put my teammates first. Any reaction from teammates? The phone was blowing up to, like it was my birthday yesterday. I got some messages from teammates, talked to ex-players, and even other players around the league. What was communicated between me and those players and ex-players, obviously you guys won't find out about. Tyler Seggins' responses. Have you seen the comments? Yeah, I'm aware. Does he does he have does he have a response to the comments? No, no response. Jamie and I hear the message. I think the whole team hears it. We know that we have to play better and we understand that. So we're going to continue to work every day and keep getting better. I come to the rink every day, you know. The stars are in my heart and they're they're my team. They're where I've wanted to be and why I signed here, so I'm going to continue to work. If Lights has had any personal conversation with him, no, not since the end of the season, so a little bit of a surprise there. I guess in one aspect because I obviously didn't know how he felt, so it came as a bit of a surprise, but I said it yesterday in practice that I understand I need to be better. Jamie understands that he needs to be better, and we need to lead this team to be better. I think our organization needs to be better. I think everyone is frustrated the last couple of years, and it kind of came on us. On how he gets better, uh, Tyler said, by coming to the rink like we have been trying and well, like we have been and trying to figure out ways to keep improving this team. We just had a good break and we want, we then went into Nashville on the road, a hard place to play and played a good hockey game. We need to continue to build off of that. If, if him, if he would like to meet with lights to explain his bad luck hitting posts this season. I mean, my phone is out there. My number is out there. I'm not complaining about posts. I'm not wah, wah or wham, wham. I'm, I'm not whining about it. If anyone asks how many posts I've hit, I say, yes, of course I do. I'm a hockey player, I'm a goal scorer, but I'm going to continue to grind, continue to shoot, continue to get to those areas and try to score goals. So, that was a long, long, long way of saying, yeah, who the fuck cares? Like, that's really, like, that's the, the you want to boil it down to the core essence of what they're actually saying is, is, yeah, I'm still putting up points and uh, you, you, you see our goalie back there? You see our defense? Who the fuck cares what I do? Because that's, that's that's the reality of the situation. Like, who cares if they're not putting in points? They can put up eighty points, eighty points in thirty games. They're still going to probably be losing most of their games seven to six, because they can't stop goals. So, what's your reaction to the players' responses? I mean, it's just typical polite hockey player comments, you know. Like, I expected the the personal conversation between the two of them. This is probably how I image this conversation. You hear this fucking guy? He pays me $8 million. I have 30, 30 points in 39 games. I guess it's not good enough for this guy. But oh well. Like, that's, you know what I mean? Like, I envision that's most of the conversations happening. Just being a hockey guy and, and just a person in general. It's like, if somebody at your job calls you out and you know you're doing fine, you're just like, who the fuck is this guy? Like, okay. Because <laughs> what's the CEO of the, the hockey team going to do? He can't do anything. He can't go trade anybody. I mean, he's gonna walk up to Jim Neal. Hey, you know, I don't really like his attitude. Let's let's trade, let's trade Sagan. Jim Neal is probably gonna have a a heart attack because you're well, not gonna yeah, trade. He's old enough. You're not gonna trade Tyler Sagan. No, again. Sorry, <laughs> that's not gonna happen again unless something like this continues to get weight and Tyler Sagan openly comes out and says, "I guess you know I don't really want to be here anymore." But I don't see him doing that because one, teams will notice that. They won't want that probably either. I mean, well, I mean, some teams will and won't. That's that's a weird, debatable topic. But I just the whole the whole thing does it doesn't catch me off guard that something like this happens because this happens behind closed doors. This is just this is a regular thing. But what you said has a lot of weight. It's the fact that 
everything he said, it's just like, you're picking on the wrong people. You know? Yeah. It, it's like trying to bully somebody who knows Taekwondo. They're going to slap the shit out of you. Yeah. Well, you're, I think it's... You're barking the wrong tree. I think it's telling that Sagan in his answers said better probably 54 times. Like, we need to be better. The organization needs to be better. He didn't say, I'm shitty. Like, he didn't say, we're shitty. He he actually gave the response that should be given when your team is mired in, you know, a decade-long me- slump of mediocrity. Like, they're not... And that's the thing about Dallas. Like, that's why I imagine this is even more frustrating. This is one of the, the big fears I have in being a Red Wings fan. It's one of the problems you just got out of being a Toronto fan. But at least we were on the other side of it, so we're kind of lucky. Uh, although Toronto had a couple of glimpses into being a Dallas Stars team where it's like you're and so did Detroit actually at the end. And that, those are the most frustrating years where you're like not good enough to be a top two to top three team and you're not bad enough to be a bottom two to three team. You're just kind of in this middle doing nothing. You're not doing anything because you can't really draft that great of a player and you and then, can't win anything. And then sorry to cut you off. No, no I'm and, you're good. And then you have two of the top 15 players in the league wasting away. Yeah. Literally doing nothing. Well, not doing nothing, but literally, you're gaining nothing from them being there. You'd probably be better off if they weren't there, because then your team would be worse. You'd be able to acquire said talent through the draft, or etc. But that's the risk you take playing what you do. I mean, nobody's feeling sorry for you. The league does not feel sorry for you being where you are. So, like I said, the passion, I like. But... Majorly is misplaced. I mean, let's if he came out and be like, you know what? I wish Ben if if he just went instead of just saying those two players, if he went down the roster and said a few more players, I think widely we would have been like, okay, okay, the team's not playing well. But he picked out the two biggest leaders on the team that actively lead your team in scoring. (laughs) What I think I think that's the 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 takeaway for for hockey fans is like. I could be a CEO of a team. <laughs> that was the first thing that somebody said to me. They were just like, he's a CEO. <laughs> and he's he no shit. Yeah, he doesn't know shit. And my friend was like, I was talking to my friend Mark. He's like, sign me the fuck up, man. Like, where do I, where do I go to do this? I could do this in my sleep. <laughs> Seriously, I could bitch about guys who are performing. <clears throat> oh, God, the Red Wings suck. Fucking Larkin's only putting up a point per game. This is bullshit. GM. What? Yeah, <laughs> do it. Fuck it. Why not? Because, like, that's, it just tells me, like, even at a high level, even at the people who make decisions level, you still don't know hockey. And I don't Out know how touch. that's possible. Yeah. I just, I don't know how you can be in that ring, have that profession, have access to all that information, and still know nothing. It boggles my mind. And I, I honestly, I the thing I hope comes from this is uh, either one of two things. One, get rid of that guy because he's clearly a problem because he doesn't know anything. Not because he's voicing his opinion, but because he doesn't know anything. But, or number two, there's an actual philosophical fundamental change in Dallas. And they go, maybe we should build from the back end out. Keep these two guys who are doing a lot of scoring and actually get people who can stop the fucking puck. And actually get people who can stop the puck from even being fucking shot. Like, get those two things and you have a concoction for a team that can win. Because they have 106 goals in 39 games. So they're averaging a little over two a game. It's not terrible. They're right on pace with the rest of their division. Again, not including Winnipeg. Because Winnipeg is playing godly this year. 
But anyways, let's jump off this because this topic has been talked to death. I just wanted to offer up our takes on it because we've been a month off and it has been really fun to watch and unfold over the last three days. Two days ago. <laughs> I was going to say, and it's been really fun to watch unfold to the point where, like I said, the Red Wings broadcast started with an opening uh, mimicking the Dallas uh, soap opera, but with the, the calling it the stars. Uh, okay, so let's jump into a topic that I think is more controversial on my end than you may have expected. Uh, almost halfway through another successful season in Tampa Bay, head coach John Cooper is still without a contract beyond this year. According to Sportsnet's Chris Johnson, that could soon change. Uh, I'm not going to jump into reading the article, but I want to say um, if I was Tampa Bay, I would uh, probably start considering my options. And I'm curious as to what your reaction is to that. I don't think it's a bad thing to shake it up, but what's your options better than what your current option is? It's very minimal. Uh, I don't. I don't know. I, I would you mean say Joe Quinville. If I, yeah, yeah, actually, yeah, yeah. There That'd you be go. A shake up. Do it. No, do it. Uh, that's Cooper, proven talent. It's proven but... talent. It's proven championship caliber talent. Because honestly, you bring in Quenville, you just completed the puzzle of my brain that I couldn't complete. Uh, you bring in Quenville. That is Bowman ninety six. That is Bowman coming into a team that is just, just about to exit their prime. And turning them into a championship team. Probably a two to three time cup winning championship team. It's exactly what Bowman did for a six year run here in Detroit. It's exactly what Quenville would do there. He's a proven Stanley Cup winning coach on a team that has proven Stanley Cup winning talent that doesn't have a coach that can get him there right now. I don't believe John That's what I'm really getting to is I don't believe John Cooper is the answer in Tampa. I mean, I don't think that's largely controversial. I think he, he just, outside of the one, you know, Stanley Cup final that he went to where I think he heavily got outplayed outcoached a little bit that I mean they've they've probably not met most of their expectations and I mean now that Steve Eiserman technically isn't at the the large helm there maybe that there's a shifting happening slightly of ownership management and that's including coaching that you know maybe they want a different guy and I know a lot of the guys in the Tampa room they really like him a lot they see he's a great guy that's a good thing to have but you know who also is a good guy Jeff Lashill, you know who also is underperforming? Jeff Lashill. So it's like, yeah, <laughs> you know, like these guys, like the sentiments of their jobs is too much job security. I don't think ever pushes you. That's why I like, you know, like the whole adage around here with like what's going on with Stafford, like put somebody behind him to push him because he clearly doesn't care. So make him have a competition. Like, I think there needs to be a healthy balance of that. And when you start to get too comfortable, then things like this happen. But do I think if they re-sign him, that's a negative? No, because I think he's a good coach. But I don't know, like you said, if he has that gear to push them into the next caliber. If if there is a next caliber <laughs> of, you know, being the best NHL team currently outside yeah, of Winnipeg. Yeah, 30, they're 37 and 2. Yeah. Like, like they they're two not. Re- two regulation losses. Two overtime losses, seven regulation. Sorry. Yeah, you're good. Yeah. 37 like, and 2. Yeah, yeah so I, it's, it's hard to say. That's still under yeah. 10 in three months. Yeah, in 40 games. Uh, yeah. Like. Okay, <laughs> but here's the thing, and, and go with me on this, because I think this is the important thing. That's every fucking year with them. They're the greatest regulation season, reg, greatest regular season team in the fucking world. Who cares? No one cared about Washington until they won a cup. 
Like everybody was like, "Oh my God, when's Ovech gonna win? When's Ovech gonna win?" And and that's what's gonna happen. It, like it, honestly, I would think if I was a fan of Tampa Bay and they re-signed Cooper for like a three-year extension or a five-year extension with what he's done with this team, if I'm dumb, I'm happy. If I'm smart, I'm pissed. Because if you're smart, you know that sometimes the right guy can be the wrong guy in the the wrong situation. And I think. Cooper is probably the best coach for a team that doesn't have any hope of winning a cup. He is not the best coach for a team that's going to win a cup. And, you know, I might be proven wrong they can win the cup this year and go on a five back-to-back cup winning run. But just my feel right now is this guy is like a boyfriend that you just don't want right now. Like you're just you just need to figure out who you are or you need to have the person that could actually be your husband. Like I, I think that Cooper is a great coach. He's good at getting them there. But I think come playoff time, he just doesn't have it. I don't think it's there. He's had too many opportunities. He's got too deep of a roster. There's no holes on that roster. None. And there haven't been in a long time. They have not had a gap in that roster, top to bottom, front to back. Every state of the every stage of the game, they've had a player. They've had two to three players in most cases, and they still can't get over the hump. Tells me it's a coaching issue. It's not a GM issue because they build the roster. It's not a talent issue because they're all really fucking good. It's a coaching issue, and I think you nailed it. I mean, you might have been on accident, but Quenville, I think, is that piece 100%. Yeah, I mean, I don't even know if Quenville is an option, technically speaking, but I just know that he is currently not coaching. So, <laughs> And his track record of taking, I mean... Most of the years that they won the Stanley Cup, I think only one year they were the one seed. Every yeah. other year they were like the two, three, four seed. Maybe one of those was before they did the playoff format. They were the fifth seed or something, and they just walked in and just ran over everybody. And and, and that's the thing that like as like a like just just for a second a Toronto fan right now is how good they started the season and then they start to slip a little bit and you're just like oh, okay like it's happening now we're gonna have our little thing here. And then you pick it back up again. And that's the one thing that always happens with Toronto. They start, they come out in the first three months of the season, or, or I'm sorry, Tampa. They come out the first three months of the season, guns blazing. And I think they wear themselves out because when yeah. the playoffs come, they look incredibly flat every year. Yeah. And I think that I mean, that's they almost coaching. lost to Detroit two years. <laughs> yeah. And I think that's coaching. I 100%. I, I think he has to, he doesn't have whatever skill set it is to learn to manage your players. It's just not there with him. Maybe that's just me, and like I said, somebody might hear this show and flame us and blow us up. I don't care. That's just my opinion. Uh, okay, let's again, let's get off the negative. Uh, let's jump into the positive part to wrap this up because I think this is a fun topic because, like I said, we did the negative side of it. It turned into a huge topic, but let's talk about the positive side of things. This is the seven best contracts, uh, best value contracts per AAV and value uh, currently in the NHL, and I'm just going to name the players, and then we'll kind of go over them as uh, afterwards. Brad Marchand, 6.125 million cap hit through 2024-25. Nathan McKinnon, 6.3 million cap hit through 2022-23. John John Klingberg, 4.25 million through 2021-22. Victor Arvidsson, 4.25 million through 2023-24. Mark Scheifele, 6.125 million through 2023-24. And the up oh, and two more, Jonathan Marchessault. Uh, five million through twenty twenty three twenty four, and Alexander Barkov five point nine million through twenty twenty one twenty two. Uh, do any of those, before we get go into deep dives? Do any of those players stand out to you right away? I would say Jonathan Marchessault because That's- like you kind of had to think about like just the way he's producing points and the way that 
you know, he was signed in Florida, I believe, on that deal. Or wait, was it Vegas who re-upped him on that deal? I can't remember. Vegas re-upped him. Yeah, because, like, I knew before that he was making, like, four or something like that. And then they re-upped him for another mil. And, like, $5 million for his his performance, <laughs> especially on a team that has Max Patch right now with an even higher amount of money, <laughs> that's literally doing nothing. <laughs> like, that's a really good deal. And then the other one was... Brad Marchand, I mean, you just got to think, like, aside from how I personally feel about him, his point production per cap hit is pretty outrageous. Yeah, I hate him, but it's accurate. He He's one of those guys that just, for the value of the contract, he's putting up a really good amount of points. But then again, you, you got to fall into that weird, weird spot where it's just like, what happened this last week with Jake Getzel making a $6 million extension? You're just like, well, why? Like... Like, where does, you know, like, 50 or 60 points a year net you six... It's like 10 points. It's like 10 points is $1 million worth of, of salary cap now. It's like, <laughs> he got 10 points, throw him a mil. He gets 20, 2 million. Like, like that's what I feel is happening now. It's kind of getting dumb. And I think I just learned that it takes three years for you and your co-host to have a complete and total psychic connection because that's immediately why I brought this topic up. That is 100%. The Jake Getzel contract was because... That is, right now it's sort of just a contract, but I think if we redo these two articles or redo, revisit these two discussions three years from now, Gatzel's going to be on the other side of this. Yeah, because it looks like William Melander is going to be on that one too. Yeah, because well, it's it's literally just it's it it comes into the debate of is it the player that makes the 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 stat sheet or the stat or the t- the line mates that make the stat sheet, and I think in Getzel's case, it's impossible not to put up a minimum of 35 points a year playing next to Sidney Crosby. It's almost impossible. Like, I mean, literally, I think it's pretty much mathematically impossible if you're playing next to Crosby for 15 minutes a night to not put up 45, 50 points a year just just being near him. I mean, Pascal Dupuis did it. Pascal fucking Dupuis. I rest my case. So I think <laughs> I think when Crosby, when that when that squad breaks up and becomes bad, I think Getzel's going to be one of the last, like, Getzel's going to be one of the things that Pittsburgh points its fingers to. Uh, but getting back to the positive side of it, I think that the one that sticks out the most for me is Nathan McKinnon. I mean, this is a guy who is performing near the top of, oh, man, why did I have to give it stuck on Dallas? He's performing near the top of the league and scoring uh, year over year the last two years. He's been in the top five both years. Uh, right now he's number two with 61 points to 39 games. Uh Coming in at a cap hit of 6.125, signed just before the start of the 16-17 season, the Bruins locked in, oh, sorry, wrong one, Through McKinnon, though McKinnon won the Calder Trophy after a 63-point rookie season, he followed it up with seasons of 38 and 52 points, closing on his entry-level contract nowhere near the player he has become since. He signed his seven-year deal in July of 16 and was the 51st highest-paid NHLer at the time, but scored just 53 points in the first year of the contract and went through the first four seasons of his career with one 20-goal season. But the first overall pick of the 13 draft arrived as one of the league's best best last season, scoring 39 goals and 97 points, showing that wasn't a fluke. He continues to center the NHL's highest-scoring line and already at the time of this article has 57, 56 points through 37 games. That's now up to, like I said, 61 and 39. So two games later, another four points. Or, I'm sorry, 58 and 39. So two, uh, two games later, another point. This guy is uh, quickly becoming otherworldly. He's entering the prime of his career. He's uh, proving everybody who thought he was a bust wrong. And I think, given the right pieces, he's probably a build around for a cup winning team. 
I th- I, I think it. Do you, do you agree with that? Yeah, my friends and I like to call him Budget Sid. <laughs> That's awesome. That's pretty great. It's a Budget Sid because he plays kind of just like him. He's got the same prowess in the face-off circle. He's a very good two-way piece, but he knows how to turn on when he needs to, and he's actually, in real life, best buds with Sidney Crosby, so Budget Sid. Yeah, uh, and then the other one I wanted to touch on was because I think this is more indica- indicative of uh, good management and a good roster and good... Uh, Good control from the GM. Victor Arvidsson, $4.25 million through 23-24. There are a few notably great value contracts on the Nashville Predators roster, including Matthias Eckholm at, Matthias Eckholm at $3.75 million and Roman Yossi at $4 million. But considering Arvidsson just signed his deal in 2017 to lock in through the 23-24 season, a contract providing incredible value already will just get better and better over the next five seasons. Arvidsson has averaged 30 goals and 61 points in each of the past two seasons and was on a point-a-game pace in 18-19 before an injury forced him to the sidelines. Arvidsson won't put up superstar numbers, but he brings a high level of consistency and productivity, and his low-cap hit will help open up the Predators to more expensive options throughout the life of the contract. Victor Arvidsson, to me, is... Uh, literally the prototypical exact player you'd like to have seven of on your team. Like he's yeah. he's not Sidney Crosby, he's not Ethan McKinnon, but my God, if I could have three of him, I'd be happy forever. Well, as Mickey Redmond pointedly pointed out last week, you can't win with twenty Dylan Larkins. So, but you could win with seven Victor Arvidsons. <laughs> That's some of that good insight from Mickey on the uh, the broadcast there. <laughs> Can we just talk about something really quick? Just like throwing we, a topic we, at you. We're out of topics, so by all okay. means. Okay. I was just thinking about this watching the, the local broadcast last night that how many of these play by play guys, the main play by play guy is incredible, but they throw whatever random person they could find that knows how to talk with a microphone as the color guy. And at some point, you just got to feel bad for some of these guys. You're just like, like Ken Daniels, I honestly feel bad for. Like what he's had to go through the rest of his life, and then you got to put up with Mickey Redman. Bang, like, boom, pow. Yeah, holy mackerel! It's just like, bro, like, like I love Mickey. Don't get me wrong, I love Mickey. He's I don't. A great. He's a good human being. I, I like, like him, him as a person. Sure. Yes, but like the hockey side of it, dude. Holy crap! It bugs the living hell out of me. And like some of the Toronto broadcasts, you know, like the color because it's national broadcast, it's hardly ever their own sectional broadcast because Toronto is the national broadcast, right? And then, like, CBC has just fallen off a little bit. Like, I remember when CBC used to be the pinnacle of the broadcasting in hockey. You would, like, I would I would watch in, in a square 40 box rather than HD because of CBC. I wouldn't care. Just to hear it. And it would sound better. But, like... The color commentating, I just noticed, has been very lackluster in a lot of these teams. And that's after coming from watching an NFL game where Tony Romo is a thing, you know? And then I come into hockey where there's hockey seems to always be well-educated, very just, you know, they can talk really well because they have to talk very fast. They have to be very articulate with talking about the game and knowing all these stats. And, and then you just, you fail these people with putting just shit next to them. I'm just going to put it bluntly. No, absolutely. I, I, the only time I've seen good in recent memory was, I don't know his name, but he's the uh, color commentator, I believe, for the Carolina Hurricanes, uh, offering up like a three-minute rant about Dougie Hamilton. He might, have been, he might be the color commentator for the Bruins, now that I think about it. But Dougie Hamilton wore number 19 while they were wearing the oh, Hartford Oh, the Whalers retired jersey. number. Yeah. Yeah. And that, I, that was actually like 
really well spoken, really accurate, and I think articulated a point that I cannot, but I agree with, in a way that I never could think to do properly. And I think that that was done really well. But as far as like, yeah, the local broadcast, because you know you're not in Spain the wheels anymore, so it's good to hear you offering Red Wings opinions a little bit because the the broadcast team right now they actually have a thing that I like that I think is kind of fun that whole. Uh, hashtag I'm with part that's fun like them picking a player they think is going to do good is like sort of like yeah, a little fantasy like a angle now, right yeah and I really like it it's like it's unique it's interesting it shows you that they're involved and they're like kind of paying attention more than just doing a job you know and I think uh, I think the presentation's really good it's not really abrasive it's not really repetitive but I think they're lacking in side pieces to go with Ken Daniels because Ken Daniels is just so good the standard is so yeah. high and you know, we, Mickey doesn't travel anymore because he's he's uh, what seventy one now, I think. It's so, health, yeah. Yeah, but they but his sub in is Darren Elliott, who uh, no offense, Darren, I'm sure you know your stuff. I'm sure you're uh, you're probably smarter than me because you got to the broadcast. Bro, booth. I've scored on Darren Elliott in a Red Wings alumni game, but well, it's he's just not. Yeah, <laughs> but you can't offer up NHL opinions when you spent five years as a third string goalie, like. I, I don't I don't care what you have to say I, and and for as inarticulate as Chris Osgood is I'd rather hear his opinion in that color booth like yeah. he seems to know his shit more he he he's a lot more humble he for being a 400 winner probable all, uh, at some point Hall of Famer three time Stanley Cup champion or two time Stanley Cup champion like he's a shitload more humble than five years as a third string Darren Elliott who talks about all loves to talk about his time in the NHL like I. What the fuck? Like, I don't know why it is that... And, and the funny thing is about this this squad, like, that's why it's so frustrating to me is because not only do they have pieces that I like in terms of their presentation beyond me being a Red Wings fan, but they used to have a piece that I loved that they got rid of for petty bullshit reasons in Larry Murphy. Larry Murphy was really good at his job, both when he was asked to sub in for the Vancouver games at the time because Mickey would travel, but he wouldn't travel to the West Coast, so Larry would sub in. Larry was a phenomenal color guy. Larry knows his shit because he's a defenseman, and newsflash, defensemen know the, know the game probably better than any other position. Second, maybe only to goalies off and on, depending. Again, you have to be a good goalie to kind of have the opinion because you have more experience. But I think defensemen in general, let alone Hall of Fame caliber defensemen like Larry fucking Murphy, know their shit when it comes to the game because they have to know the game because they cannot be just getting in there trying to score. They have to be ready at all times. And they got rid of him for a petty bullshit reason. And what we're left with is Darren, I spent five minutes in the NHL, Elliot, and then Chris, I only get to talk for three minutes a game, Osgood. And I don't know why that is. Yeah, like part of it, the part of the what made me even like think about this. I wanted to talk to you about it last night because it was fresh in my brain. But like, Dallas scored a goal, and Elliot like couldn't get out a full sentence. It's like he's waiting for the replay to describe what he just saw, so he would talk in a burst. It was like it was like talk period, talk period, talk period. Like that's it felt like you were texting, like how he was talking, <laughs> and it, it was driving me mad because it's just like they scored a goal, they put a puck in the net, like. Let's go. Like, talk, man. Like, and, and that's just, for me, it's just like, I. that's when I innately was like, I feel so bad for Ken Daniels right now. Because he has to carry so hard. It's like your reference. It's like me playing Overwatch with you guys sometimes. Yeah. I have to put the team up. Ken Daniels puts the broadcast, the award-winning broadcast, on his back. <laughs> he does it by himself. And so I much so the, the shit he, out of it. So much so that he's having to correct Mickey now. Like, when Mickey's saying just flat out the wrong things. Mm-hmm. Like they, there was a discussion. I think it was like, I want to say five or six weeks ago that triggered me where it was like, Mickey was like, well, you know, they're saying, you know, anytime that, uh, 
you know, the Wings getting a, a losing streak. They're saying, oh, you know, you get a good draft pick, get a good draft pick. But, you know, you see how well this worked out in Edmonton. And Ken's like, yeah, but you see how well it's worked out in Pittsburgh. Like, he's like, shut the fuck up. Like, <laughs> Hughes, Jack Hughes is a fucking generational player. We want him. Shut the fuck up, Mickey. We don't want 17 Michael Rasmussens. Like, I'm sorry. Like, we just, we want a guy who can actually put the puck in the net and keep the puck out of our own fucking zone. Like, ugh. It, it, to the point where he's correcting him. Like, he's correcting him on, like, oh, that was offsides. Well, I didn't see that he was offsides. Well, he was. <laughs> like, I, I, I'm wondering if they're going to get to the point where they're going to have a Tiger-style fight in the broadcast booth. <laughs> just he pick, just Ken Daniels picks up a chair, knocks him out. Yeah, we'll be back in three, and I will be by myself for the rest of the night, guys. A little, like, little bit easier of a fight, though. <laughs> a 50-year-old right. man going against a 70-year-old instead of two 45-year-olds swinging at and, each other. And, like... That's the thing. I, I like around here. Mickey Redmond is like an iconic person to a lot of people. He's near and Why? dear to a lot of people's hearts. But it's just kind of like okay, like he's done his thing. Well, let's start to infuse some other talent. I, I'm not opposed to Chris Osgood. I think like when Chris Osgood speaks in the intermission with John Keating, oh, like I, oh, I really oh, don't even get me started on Keating. Go ahead. <laughs> I really appreciate. <laughs> The insight and the way he describes plays, he talks about a lot of things that, and he breaks it down so that the common fan who probably doesn't really understand hockey, or maybe they understand hockey at the very base level, can understand, like, you know, what's happening. Like, he uses terms like weak side, off side. Like, he does things that, like, regular broadcasters don't do, but it's like, it's not an invasive to, like, learning what's happening. And I really appreciate that just about Chris Osgood in general. So I, uh, I I just I figured I would throw that at you because like it was something that like last night I was innately uh, I was innately offended by how he was talking about that goal. And and as somebody, you know, we have to talk. We're podcasters. This is part of the description. When you can't formulate a sentence and talk about what's happening, it's really fucking frustrating. And then hearing somebody like blur blast while they're watching a replay of live something tweeting that innately just happened 15 seconds ago. You're just kind of like, all right, dude, like, what the fuck is happening right now? I have like, two- is the guy having a stroke in the booth? Like, what's happening? I have two follow-ups to that, then we'll wrap it up, because I know we're running a little long, longer than expected. Uh, number one, I want to give another shout-out to Trevor Thompson on that broadcast. I think he's great at his yes, job. I think he, so. I think, honestly, if you switched him and Keating, I'd probably be a lot happier. Or even switch him and Elliot, because I think Thompson's better at formulating his thoughts and knowing what he's talking about than a guy who actually played in the NHL somehow. Uh, but also, number two, and perhaps more importantly to my frustration with our broadcast is why is Mickey so respected around here? Because I you, I don't know if you've listened to the new intro over on Spinning the Wheels, but when I was having to go through and make that, finding the right calls was really hard because a lot, a lot of times when there's a crazy goal, Ken Daniels would be like, oh, yeah, Andreas has to see you come up the left side, Deeks and Miles scores on the right side, scores! You know, he does the call, and then you just hear Mickey in the background just going, oh, oh, like, Having half an orgasm for no fucking reason, like what? That's not calling professional hockey. You have to, what? What are you doing? <laughs> like, by Joseph, what? Oh, what? What did you just do? Excuse me. You're paid to talk and you just moan. What? Ugh. Anyways, any closing thoughts before I go into our post ramble? Uh, nah, man. I think <laughs> that pretty much covers it. Like. I didn't expect that last little bit to just trigger you so hard, but it was really funny watching the process of your your brain starting out being like, Ken Daniels is a saint. 
fuck Mickey Redmond. <laughs> like that's innately how I felt that in my head. It's it it was one of those uh windows I hadn't opened but had a lot of wind to go through. Uh okay. If you guys liked what we did here, uh I ask uh I also have to do a quick little update on our scheduling. This is our new schedule. Uh having the two off weeks for both shows kind of worked out well for both spinning the wheels and pucking around to get on a new two-week schedule with the way it is right now. So you will see us again in two weeks. Next week will be spinning the wheels with more live shows all three of us present. Obviously, it'll be better for everybody. Uh, if you like what we're doing here, I ask, as I do every week, to subscribe to us on iTunes and uh, Podbean, Stitcher, Facebook, Spotify. All of those are under the SRD Hockey banner. Uh, if you found us, I ask that any of your hockey friends, please find us on there. Tell them about us because we need more subscribers on that feed. Yes, we occasionally get on the Sports Radio Detroit feed, but we have our own feed now so you guys can just get us. Uh, if you like what we're doing, you can follow the brand on Twitter at Sports Radio DET for all of our updates. The sister show spinning the wheels at STW underscore SRD. Myself at JM Pinkham on Twitter. Steve at Franchise GFX. Check out our website at sportsradiodetroit.com. Thank you, and we'll see you guys in two weeks. This has been an SRD production.